0: today we do. We welcome you, God, into our hearts and lives. We ask you, God, to do what only you can do. Lord, everything that's happened in this service, God, has been dedicated to give you glory, to honor you, to lift you up. And our prayer is that everything that happens from this point forward, till we walk out of these doors, God, be anointed and led solely by you. Let it be your voice today that speaks into our hearts. Let it be your power and your anointing that changes our lives. Because, God, that's what we need, Lord. We need your life change in us. And even in those moments, God, when we think that we don't, those are the moments, Lord, when we need it the most. And so have your way today. Have your way in our hearts. Have your way in our lives. Do, God, what only you can do. And Lord, we will give you all the honor and the glory for it. In the mighty name of Jesus, would everyone together say amen? Amen. Would it be okay to just give him one more ovation of praise today? Amen. 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 God bless you. It is so great to see each and every one of you on this beautiful, warm Sunday morning. Has anybody sweated any the last couple of days? Anybody just had a couple little beads of sweat pop on your brow? Uh, I have had just a couple, so I'm trying to stay in nice, cool environments. Aren't you thankful for air-conditioned church? You know, this could be like, we could be living in the 20s right now. We could be having church under an old brush arbor right now with sawdust on the ground and no air conditioning. It'd be good then too, wouldn't it, Brother Troy? But I tell you what, it sure is nice in this air-conditioned building, isn't it? We we thank the Lord for all he did in the 20s, but I'm thanking the Lord for what he's doing now, and I thank the Lord for that cool air that's blowing on us too. Amen. It is great to see all of you today. Let me just say something right here. The last couple of Sundays, we've been talking about recalculation recalculation, rerouting. Anybody had to reroute in your life before? You ever had the GPS speak to to you and say, at the nearest place, make a legal U-turn. In other words, you've done something wrong or either I have found a better way for you. A couple of Sundays ago, we talked about how we deal with recalculation in our lives and when, when changes come and we have to make course adjustments Uh, And then last week we discussed and talked about how that sometimes God will do a recalculation in our lives. It's not him changing his plan, it's him readjusting us to align us with his plan. And I'd actually intended on moving to step three of that today and uh, discussing how that other people can recalculate us sometimes. Anybody ever had that happen before? You, uh, it wasn't your fault. It had nothing to do with what you were doing, but there were some of, uh, some other people's decisions that caused you to have to recalculate. We're going to have to put that off a Sunday or two because uh, about 7.30 this morning, I really began to feel some things very heavy and deep in my spirit. I just wonder if there's anybody in this room today that walked in here and you can just be honest before God, honest with yourself, and honest with this church family that loves you today. Say, I came to church today in need of a miracle in my life. Would you raise your hand? God bless you. God bless you. You come in here today needing God to do something supernatural in your life. Just last night, we were over at St. Francis with CC and Jackie Kimball. Jackie's on a ventilator right now. She started having some major respiratory issues or body not dispelling the carbon dioxide and, and uh, things are beginning to take a turn for the better. Thank the Lord for that. But I promised Cece that this family today would be lifting them up and lifting Miss Jackie up in that hospital bed and we're just believing the Lord to do a miracle in her life. And I want to talk a little bit about that in just a minute but I'm asking you as a church family to, to join with me and join one another as we lift up Jackie Kimball today. And for a few moments this morning I just want to talk about miracles. It's not something we preach about a lot these days. It's not something we talk about a lot. It seems like for a lot of people, they're almost scared to go there because it's this mystical thing almost. It's this this thing that you can't explain, and we can't explain miracles because it's a God thing. It's beyond natural thinking. It's beyond our human uh, comprehension to understand the miraculous power Of God, anybody that can define it, they're a fool, because you're talking about the God stuff—the stuff that He's in control of. People that try to manipulate Scripture and manipulate things to say, "Well, if you'll do this, then He'll do that," and and somehow manip— somehow we're manipulating God into doing miracles. He can't be manipulated. Okay, He is God. I'm going to reference two miracles: one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament, and I truly believe with all of my heart today that we still today in 2019, we still serve a miracle-working God that I believe with all of my heart that, that the same God that split the sea, the same God that, that raised the dead in, in the Gospels, the same God that we saw demonstrated through, through the, through the miracle-working power of God that we saw demonstrated through the apostles long after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the same God that is at work today. He is, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I think many times, though, we miss the miracles of God in our lives because of our human preconceived notions that we have about this subject. Many times when we begin to speak of miracles, when we begin to pray for miracles in our lives or in someone else's lives. We become guilty of being very results oriented. We love the sensational. I, I want to see the end result. I, I, I want to see the cancer completely gone. I, I want to see the marriage completely restored. And we're, we're so focused on the results of the miracle that we miss what God is doing in the process. Because many times the miracle is not even really the result. The miracle is what is happening in me. The miracle is what is transpiring, what, how God is growing me, what he is speaking to me, the revelation that he has given me that I'm going to carry with me after the results have come and gone. And then when I enter into the next phase, into the next season of my life, there is going to be a whole new me that wasn't there before I went through that great tragedy or that trial or that loss or that sickness. But we're so results-oriented, and we're, so, we're looking for the sensational, and I, I'm praying for this to happen, and until this happens, until I see this picture displayed in my life, God's not really working. He hasn't really done anything. He hasn't answered my prayer. I, he's, not doing the, he's doing miraculous for things for everybody else, but he's not performing the miraculous for me. And so I'm praying. I'm praying to receive the healing. I'm praying to receive uh, and see the deliverance happen in my life or someone else's. I'm praying for the provision until, until the check comes in the mail, so to speak. I haven't really seen God work. He don't care about me. He's not working in my life. He's working in everyone else's life because I'm looking for the result. I'm looking for the end thing. And sometimes I believe a lot of times, I'll speak for me, I believe that I limit God when I do this. I limit the power and I diminish God's power down to the size of my biggest problem at the time. What I do in those moments is, is I just shrink God down in my mind. I shrink him down to the, to the size of whatever the biggest issue is I'm facing at that moment because what I'm saying is, is if I can just get through this situation, if I can just see this situation turned around, then we'll know that God serves on a great big throne and he is working on my behalf. It's been my experience when praying for people, when being in an in a environment of believers and praying for situations and circumstances that sometimes people will receive instantaneous healing or deliverance in their lives. I've seen it happen. I've experienced it. I've experienced it in my own life where simply by calling on the name of the Lord, praying the prayer of faith, believing and trusting God, God comes and he just works the miraculous. I've seen it happen. It works. It happens. But then there have been other times. There have been other times when it was a lifelong struggle. It was... was, Years and sometimes even decades of having to battle through and trudge through issues of life and cares of life, and every day lifting it up to God and saying, God, I'm trusting you, I'm believing you, I'm asking you to turn this situation around, I'm believing you for a miracle. And we've preached that you have to have faith to receive a miracle. Nothing wrong with that message because we do need faith. We, we've got to have faith. Faith is a key component we must have in our lives truly to receive anything from God. Yet in Scripture, we've seen where Jesus healed people who had no faith at all. What do we do with that? What do we do with the fact that there was people who weren't even believers and Jesus walked up to them and healed them? It's almost as if the healing... What, what was there to provide or establish or build faith in the individual? It's almost like the healing was the first thing, and then the faith followed. What do you do with that? And then on the other hand, I've seen sometimes where there's these great prayer warriors, these mighty men and women of faith, and they have believed and they have prayed mighty prayers of faith, and yet, yet the disease, the battle that they fought with that disease, was lost in the natural. And they died. Or the one they prayed for died. A natural death. And I think it's this kind of teaching, this type of teaching that says that we've got to have a lot of faith to believe for a miracle. I think this kind of teaching can be very dangerous at times. Because if we're not careful, and I've seen this happen so many times, we'll begin to just have faith in our faith. We teach you got to have faith. You got to have a lot of faith. You got to believe. You got to have faith for it to work, for it to happen in your life. And so what we do is then we start trying to muster up more faith. And if I can just believe more, if I can just have bigger faith, if I can have more faith, if I can have faith like Diane Timms has, then I'll be able to really see God work in my life. And so what I'm doing now is I'm putting faith in my faith instead of putting faith in my God. If we're not careful, that's the the line that we'll begin to cross. Sometimes the miracle comes when we have nothing left in the tank. Sometimes the miracle comes when I'm at the bottom of the barrel, the very empty barrel looking up. Sometimes the miracle comes when I've lost all hope. Sometimes, let me just go ahead and tell you, the miracle has come in my life when all of my faith was gone. Can I just be honest today? There have been moments and times in my life when I didn't even believe anymore. I didn't have it within me to believe. I was so depleted. There was nothing left in the tank that I couldn't even muster up that little bit of faith and the miracle still came. Am I the only one that's had that happen in their life? Sometimes the miracle comes when every one of the preconceived ideas I had of how God was going to deal with the situation was exhausted. God, I just knew you were going to do this. God, I just knew that you were going to turn this situation around. God, I was believing and I knew I had faith to believe and I knew that this thing was all going to turn around for my good and you didn't do it. Or can I just put a little line on there that maybe I didn't say to him? You didn't do it the way I thought you were going to do it. Let me just say right here that I will never stop praying the prayer of faith over every situation and circumstance in all of our lives. I will never stop declaring God's promises and God's word over every sickness, over every disease, over all depression and oppression that any one of us in this room might face. I will never stop believing God for the impossible because I believe that the things that are impossible with man are always possible with God. And let me just say that my prayer may not always align with his plan but it will always align with his power. We serve an all-powerful God. I will never stop praying the prayer of faith. I may not always pray God's plan, because guess what? I don't know that, but I will pray God's power, because I do know that, and I believe that. There's one thing I've learned about miracles is I've studied God's word, and it's this. Miracles are messy. Miracles are messy. We, we, we love the little nicely wrapped packages. We, we, we love the, the beautiful display. We like the, we like the real pretty wrapped miracles, don't we? With the, with the perfectly placed bow right on top, sitting under the Christmas tree that we wished Santa Claus to bring us. That's If we're being honest, that's really how we like our miracles to come, don't we? We just want to pray it, and then God, you just send a tractor beam of light down from heaven and and plant it right there in my living room, just the way I prayed it and just the way I asked it. That's how we like it, let's be honest. It sounds a little ridiculous when I say it like that, but it's true. It's true, and the second that he doesn't deliver the miracle in the package that I wanted it in, the way I wanted it to look, the way I wanted it to feel, the way I wanted it to sound, then all of a sudden now I'm questioning everything about my God. Where were you? You didn't do what I prayed. You're not answering my prayers. Can I just remind you today that miracles are messy. You look all the way from Genesis to Revelations and every miracle that you see, every every one of these physical miracles that you see, all of these incredible creative miracles that we see, they're messy. There's all kinds of drama involved. There's all kinds of confusion a lot of times involved, not because God is birthing the confusion, because the people are birthing the confusion because they don't understand, they don't know. They don't understand why God waited till this moment to do this when they're in the middle of it. They don't understand why you had to go dip seven times in the water. They don't understand why this time he spat in the, and made mud and put it on their eyes. Don't, they don't understand these things in the moment because it's messy in the process. Is it okay that I'm just kind of Talking real plain a little bit today. Is this all right? Miracles are messy. I mentioned that there was two stories from God's word that I wanted to share with you today. And and there's a common theme that runs through both of these stories. One's in the Old Testament and one's in the New. And, and, And one of those common threads that runs through both of these stories is they both, there was a person, there was an individual who came with a very dire and desperate need in their lives. Can I just tell you that's where a miracle begins. Miracles don't happen because we got it all together. Miracles don't happen just because, just because we wished upon a star, okay? This isn't Disney. This isn't, this isn't uh, the, magical, uh, king, the magic kingdom here. This is, this is God's kingdom. It's his kingdom. It's how he decides to do it. And so a miracle will always begin with a desperate situation. It'll always begin with someone being in dire straits. It'll always begin with someone coming to the end of themselves. So first and foremost, in both of these stories, someone comes with a dire need. And number two, after coming to the prophet in the Old Testament, and after coming to Jesus in the New Testament, things actually get worse in their lives. See, I think it's a misconception sometimes. We get it wrong sometimes when we think, okay, I'm in a very desperate place. I'm going to the church house. I'm going to the prayer closet. I'm going to the Lord, and he's going to make it all better. When I come out of that place, all my situations are going to be turned around. All the stuff is going to be healed. All the marriage is going to be restored. My children are coming back home to serve the Lord. All these things are going to happen. But in both of these situations, they go to God, and after they go to him with their dire situation and their great desperation, things only get worse after that. What do you do with that? We're just, this is real talk today, okay? I, I don't want you to come in here and get some preconceived notion and idea that just because somebody told you how to pray a certain prayer or you walk to the front of a church, that somehow every situation and circumstance is going to be perfect when you walk out the door. I don't want anybody to leave out of here with that false, that false narrative. They came to God. There was a desperate situation. They were in dire straits. And even after coming to the Lord, things only got worse. This story in the the Old Testament, I've actually preached from it many times, and it's found in 2 Kings chapter 4. Many of you will be familiar with the story, and it's a story of a widow. And obviously, by the story, you read that her husband has died. And it's evident it's evident that he didn't leave his family in very good a situa- uh, very good financial state, and now she's here as a widow with two sons, and she has no money. Her husband is gone, and now the creditors are about to take her two sons as slaves to now work off the debt that was incurred, be- incurred before. And now, in great desperation, She comes to the prophet of God, Elisha. And in 2 Kings chapter 4, it says, A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Everyone say empty vessels. vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons. Then pull pull it into those, pour it into those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. And then she came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. The first thing that we notice in this text is that this woman, she had to come to her end. She had already lost so much in her life she was already grieving she was already in so much pain and she had already lost so much but now she was about to lose everything that was precious to her everything that mattered to her in her life i think for most of us we need to see the miraculous hand of god in in our lives but we don't want to come to our end if we're being honest today We want to see God turn the situation around. We want to see a miracle. We want to see it all work out. We want want to see the package delivered on our front step, but we don't want to come to our end. This lady had come to her end. I will just tell you today that I have experienced the miracle working power of God in my old life. But can I just tell you that when I experienced that, it did not happen until I came to my end in that particular area of my life. There's been several places and times and situations, whether it was physical healing that I needed in my life, whether it, was, whether it was a financial matter that I knew that unless God intervened, it was not gonna work, it wasn't gonna happen, it wasn't gonna be provided for. So many situations I could go down the list and this woman, she finally came to her end I will ask all of us in this room today, is there something that you're believing God for? Is there someone you're believing God for? Is there a situation in your life that unless God intervenes, it is a hopeless outcome? Then let me say this to that. Good. 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 That's the place we need To be, It's not that God takes any pleasure in our moments of weakness and hopelessness. God gets no joy or pleasure out of that. He gets no gratification from us being in that lowly state. That's not what it's about at all. Us coming to to that place in our lives is not for God's benefit. Us coming to our end is not so that somehow God is gratified by that. Us coming to our end is for us. It's for us. It's for our benefit because when there's less of me, there's more capacity for him. When I've come to the end of me, now there is room for him to work and move and speak in my life. As long as I'm full of me, there is no capacity for him. As long as I'm listening to my own ideas and leaning on my own understanding, there is no room to hear the voice of God and see what he is doing. This is why we believe in fasting. This is what we believe about fasting. There's this this wrong notion out there that somehow fasting is somehow going to impress God to the point that he's going to move on my behalf and he's going to work a miracle because I didn't eat three meals or something. That's not true. Fasting is not for God. It doesn't do anything for him. He doesn't get any joy out of seeing us starve ourselves or anything like that. Fasting is for me. It's because when I push back the plate or when I sacrifice something in my own flesh and my own desires, whether good, bad, or indifferent, whatever it is, whenever I begin to do that, it changes me. It begins to empty me. It begins to bring me to a place where I'm receptive to what God is already doing and speaking. That's what fasting does. So coming to the end of ourselves... It's not for God, it's for us. If we want to see the power of God demonstrated in our lives, we have to come to our end because miracles are messy. The next thing that happens in this story is Elisha asked her a question. He says this, he says, what do you have in the house? This is is a very interesting question that I think that you would ask someone who comes to you in a very desperate place, in in, in dire straits, with a great need in their life, and you're going to answer their question with a question that says, what do you have? Wait a minute, prophet. I'm coming to you because I'm the one in need. I need something from you, and you're asking me, what do I have in the house? This is borderline offensive. I'm just going to be honest with you. If I was this widow woman and I had come to the prophet, the one who's supposed to have the answer, the one who's supposed to be bringing my deliverance for me, the one who's supposed to have all of the, the, the miracle-working power in his heart and mind and in his hands, if I'm coming to that place and then he's turning around and asking me, what have you got? I'm going to be honest with you. I would be very offended. Wait a minute. You're the one with the answer. I came to you. She's coming to him in this dire strait. She's about to lose everything. She's lost all of her pride, even. And she's so humbled now. She's humbled herself before the prophet. She's come asking for help. And now he's asking for something from her. What do you have in the house? Can I just tell you, and I remind you again today, that miracles are messy. Miracles don't work the way we want them to work. Miracles aren't these pretty little packaged gifts. The real miracle is what happens in the walking it out season of our lives. I'm 44 years old. I've been serving the Lord my entire life. I've I've spent the majority of my life in kingdom service and ministry and doing what I believe was what God had called me to do with my life and and living a very fulfilled life in that. But I I can tell you that, that I have had some I've had some bumps in the road. I've, I've had some hurdles to have to try to jump over. I've had some hoops to go through in my life. I've had some tragedy happen. I've had some loss. I've had some broken hearted moments. I've had lonely moments. I've had all of these things has happened in my life. And I'm, can I just tell you that our faithful God worked it out every time? Can I tell you that, that the result came every single time? Can I just tell you that his miracle working power happened every single time? But can I tell you what I'm carrying with me today is is not the testimony of the result. What I'm carrying with me today is what happened in the hallway from A to B. Visiting with C.C. Kimball in the ICU waiting room last night, we began to reflect on some previous sermons. And you've heard me say it a million times before, sometimes we're in this place and we know that God is going to do that, and he has spoken that, and that's the promise that's over there, and, and, and we begin to make that bold move, and we're, we're moving out of our comfort zone, and, and our place, and our security blanket, and we're beginning to move toward the place that God is calling, and, and the promise that he has for us, and then all of a sudden, that door slams shut, and the lights turn off, and now we're walking through a dark hallway, and it's in that dark hallway that we're having to learn to trust God. It's in that dark hallway that I can't see two inches in front of my face, but I'm, I'm leaning on one who can and I'm trusting him to take my steps for me and with every step I'm looking to him and I'm leaning on him. It's hell in the hallway. It's hell in the hallway. Miracles are messy but can I tell you that's where the miracle happened. Eventually I was opened up to the promise. Eventually, it all, the, eventually the, the prayer was answered. Eventually the promise came. Eventually the dream came to pass but in the hallway is where the real miracle happened. walking it out so Elisha asked this very desperate woman what do you have in the house what I love about this woman so much is her response I I love how she responds she didn't get offended like I would like most of us in this room would she simply began to do inventory of what she had in her house isn't that amazing she said I don't have anything oh wait a minute Let me just think about what is what is in my house. I don't have anything. I am starving. My children are fixing to die, or go to the creditors, and I don't know what we're going to do. But wait a minute, I do have something in my house. It's not much. But it is this little jar of all. I I love that because where most of us would have walked away offended, pouting, God, why didn't you? You could have. You should have. She did inventory. I'm going to tell you what I need to do sometimes, what all of us need to do sometimes, is we just need to begin to do inventory. We need to quit being so self-consumed sometimes. God, work this miracle for me. Do this thing for me. I need this. God, I'm desperate. God, please. Oh, God. And we just need to stop and say, wait a minute. I'm still breathing. I'm still living. God, you're still blessing. I don't like everything in my life. I don't like the way it feels right now. I don't like this season may, I'm in. But God, you still have a purpose and you have a plan. And guess what else we need to do? We need to take a little look in the rearview mirror. God, you've been faithful in my life. You've never left me. You've never forsaken me. You've been with me every step of the way. And where you've been with me in the past, you are with me now. And you will be with me in the future. God, I am looking at what I got in my house. I'm desperate right now, but I got something in my house. And it's a promise. It's a promise. She said, your maidservant has nothing in the house. But wait a minute, I do have a heritage of faith. I do have a God that loves me still. I, I I do have I do have means to get up out of the bed this morning. I I, I can take. I have God has surrounded me with a great church family today. I have a great family. I have things in my life. I'm gonna do a little inventory today. God, you've been so good. You've never let me go without a meal. You've never let me starve. You've never. You've always been there with me. There's been some dark days. There's been some there's been some lonely roads that I've had to walk through. But you were there with me the whole time. And God, right now that's what that's the jar I got in my house, and I'm just going to give you thanks for it. And then the next set of instructions Elisha gives the woman is very interesting. He instructs her to go borrow vessels. He he says, go get as many vessels as you can get, as many as you can possibly find. Go to all of your neighbors, knock on every door, you get every wash pot, you get every tea pitcher, you get every every wash bowl, any mixing bowl, you get whatever you can find. If it's a vessel, if it'll hold something, if it will contain something and not leak out, you get it. You go gather. And then he says this, don't get just a few. Get as many as you can. Get as many vessels as you can put in your house. Gather vessels, empty vessels, mixing bowls, water pitchers, wash tubs, cooking pots, gather all the vessels you can. But notice the kind of vessels he tells tells her to get. You get empty vessels. Now that doesn't make a lot of sense either. You would think in this moment is when I need to be going to get some help from people. Hey, you got some food in your cupboard. Put it in a vessel and give it to me. You got some flour, our house is empty. Would, would you help me out? I'm in need. Too many times I think we're looking to the natural resources to try to f- find the need to be fi- get the need filled in our lives and all the while God's saying, no, you just need to fill your life with emptiness. Go get empty vessels. I can imagine what the neighbors were thinking. Can I borrow some of those pots and pans of yours? In fact, let me have all of them. Elisha was saying, Go gather as much emptiness as you can. It almost sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? Life with emptiness. Miracles are messy. Miracles don't make sense to the human mind. Feel? I need to be filled up. I need to fill my house with what? With emptiness doesn't make sense he said don't gather just a few I want every square inch of your house to be filled with emptiness because the more emptiness there is in your house the more capacity there is for the power of God to work miracles are messy there's so much more that I could say about this particular story like the, fact that, like the fact that Elisha told her to just put her and her sons behind the door and close the door on everything else. And I'll just interject this in right here. You've heard me say it a million times. Be careful who you let into your emptiness. When, mar- when your marriage is struggling, be careful who you're talking to about that. God's saying, you, you, just, you bring your emptiness to me. You bring all the emptiness you have and you fill your life with emptiness and you close the door behind you. She came to the end of herself. She began to do inventory of what she had. She began to see the provision of God in the middle of her tragedy. She filled her life with emptiness. And after all of that messiness, after all that stuff that didn't make sense, the oil began to flow. Excuse me. I want to close today with one other miracle this story can be found in three of the four gospels but I'm going to I'm going to be referencing Luke's account of this gospel today it's found in the 8th chapter please feel free at some point to go back and read this story but for time's sake this morning I'm not going to read the entire story it's pretty lengthy I I just kind of want to relay it to you if you'll allow me Jesus is going among the crowd and he's he's doing miracles and he's teaching to throngs of people and and, and he's a popular man. And in the middle of all that, there's a man by the name of Jairus. The Bible says he's a ruler of the synagogue. And he comes to Jesus in a very desperate place in his life. You see, his 12-year-old daughter is at the point of death. She's dying. She's very sick. She's very ill. And he runs to Jesus. He falls down and begins to worship him. And he says, would you please come to my house? My daughter, she's dying. The Bible says that Jesus went, he he went. He he was on his way. And then something happens here in this story. Go back and read it. I don't see, I've not been able to find where this kind of thing happens anywhere else throughout the Gospels. you got to understand maybe how how the Gospels, or frankly all of the books of the Bible are recorded, they're, they're, they're references, they're, 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 they're re- the writers, the authors, they're remembering what happened. Some of them aren't even really in chronological order. It didn't necessarily happen here, and then this, and then this. They're just remembering certain events, and they've tied it all together in, into what we now have as our, our, our canonized version, our Bible, and what we how we read it today. But that's not really how it was originally recorded and documented. And so you would have these different stories, and and, and accounts of things that would happen. But in this particular story, something happens that doesn't happen in any other story that I can see. There's this whole scene that takes place. This, this, this ruler of the synagogue, Jairus, he comes to Jesus, and he's got a need in his life. And then Jesus says, okay, I hear you. Okay, let's go. Let's go where she's. Let's go to where she is. And he begins to follow Jay Iris, and they're now on their way back to Jay Iris' house. And then all of a sudden, the whole scene gets disrupted. Now it could have been that the writers could have just wrote that story start to finish, and in another place wrote the story of this next thing that's about to happen. But that's not how they recorded it. I believe there's a reason behind that. I believe there's a purpose behind that. What happens here is a whole another story that you've probably heard and read about and, and, and seen, and seen preach, heard preached before, and you, you've read about it before. And it's the scene, it's the moment, it's the miracle with the woman with the issue of blood. You know the woman said, if I can just but touch the hem of his garment. So there's this moment. He, he, the, 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 the man Jairus comes to Jesus, says, I have a need, my daughter's dying. And he says, okay, let's go. And they make their way. And then all of a sudden, Jesus stops and he says, wait a minute, who touched me? And the disciples are looking at him saying, Jesus... There's, there's hundreds of people. Everybody's bumping into you. What do you mean who touched you? And he said, I felt power, leave me. I felt virtue, leave me. And then you read the backstory in this whole same chapter, you can read it. This woman, she had this, she had this issue of blood. It was a very, I hate to say it this way, but it was, it was a very graphic disease. It was a, it was a very, uh, uh, at that time would have been a very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? In other words, she would have had to have, anytime she went into public, she would have had to display and say unclean, almost like a leper would. Because they would have believed this to be a very disgusting and and, and contagious blood disorder uh, that she had. I don't want to get into the details of that, but the bottom line is is that's what she would have to do. Every time that she went into public, she would have to say, unclean, unclean. And so she ended up for 12 years. The Bible says she spent everything that she had. She had lost everything just trying to find a cure, trying to find an answer to this awful disease that she dealt with. Not only was it killing her physically, but it was even killing her uh, emotionally and socially. She couldn't even interact with other people. She was seen as, a, as, a, as an outcast, and she would almost have to live in, live secluded to herself. But this day she heard that the miracle worker's in the house. He's, he's out there on that hillside, and if I can just get to him... This thing that I've been battling for twelve years, I just believe with all of my heart that, that He can heal me. If I can just touch Him, He don't even have. To, if I can just touch the hem of His garment, I don't even have to touch His flesh. If I can just touch something that's touching Him, I'll be made whole. And with that kind of faith, that's exactly what happened. She came to Jesus. Jesus stops the crowd, and says, "Who touched me? Virtue left me. Hear that? Power left me. Virtue left me." So there's this whole scene that happens, there's this whole theatrical moment that happens with Jesus and this woman with the issue of blood, and she's made whole, she's healed. We see this great miracle, and it's an awesome miracle, but we forgot, we forgot something. We forgot that there's this guy sitting over here on the sidelines. Jesus was on his way to my house. Wait a minute. It's my turn. It's my turn for my miracle. I'm going to get mines, it's my turn, and, and, and the whole scene gets disrupted by this crazy lady who shouldn't even be out in public with this 12-year disease, and now she's getting her healing, her miracles come, meanwhile my daughter's still dying, and about that time, as if things couldn't get any worse. This guy sitting on the sidelines as if things couldn't get any worse. Somebody comes to him and says, don't bother the rabbi. Hear me. Don't bother the rabbi. Your daughter's dead. I know what we're all thinking right now because we're on this side of the equation. We're thinking, well, Jesus can raise the dead too. I mean, he can raise the dead as easily as he can heal the sick. Can I tell you that Jesus didn't come to break the law? He came to fulfill the law. Jesus was considered a rabbi. That's the reason why the, the friend of, the, of, the, uh, of Jairus said, don't bother the teacher, don't bother the rabbi, because see, legally, a rabbi cannot walk into the same room with a dead corpse. Jesus didn't come to break the law. He came to fulfill the law. So legally, Jesus couldn't walk into that room where that little dead girl was. It wasn't that Jairus didn't believe that Jesus had the power to raise the dead. It wasn't even that his friends didn't believe that Jesus had the power to raise the dead. It's that they, they knew that he wasn't going to break the law, so don't even bother him anymore. Isn't it amazing how these two stories, now you start tying them together. Hear the words. When this woman touches the hem of his garment, Jesus said this. He said, virtue left me. There was a transfer that took place. Now, because this woman who was unclean touched me, now in the eyes of all of those looking on and judging, they now see that I'm unclean because I've been touched by the unclean. And there was a transfer that took place. And he took her impurity and he gave her wholeness and healing. It's a picture of the cross. Jesus was prophesying the cross. I take all the pain. I take all the impurity. I take all of the sin. And you are now made whole and healed because of what I did. And so now in the eyes of all of the religious leaders and all those who would judge him, they now say, oh, he's unclean now. And this woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years... He took on 12 years of impurity. He took on 12 years of sin. He took on 12 years of uncleanliness. And now he's able to walk legally into a room with a 12-year-old dead girl. And he raised her to life. Let me tell you something. Stand with me if you will today. And I want to remind you of something before we go today. You may have been like Jay Iris, and you might have been standing on the sidelines. You might be standing there right now. Your world is falling apart. You've got more questions than you have answers. And then it's as if things went from bad to worse. Can I just remind you that the miracle working power of God is still at work. It ain't over. Till he says it's over. It ain't over till he says. It's over. Your story isn't finished yet. If you're still breathing, you still have purpose. If you're standing here in this place today, it's because God ordained you to be here in this place today to hear this word, to know that it ain't over for you. It ain't over for your marriage. though. You thought you thought it was over. You thought there was no way this thing could ever be healed. And God is doing what we cannot even see. He's working this 12-year transfer thing. And it's all happening. Meanwhile, you're just sitting on the sidelines like Jr. is saying, what's going to happen with me. I thank God for that. I'm glad it's happening for them. But what's going to happen with me? Miracles are messy. But the miracle miracle worker never changes. His plan never changes. And he's working all things together for good in our lives. The very first miracle of Jesus, the very first one, the wedding at Cana. Water to wine. We love that story, don't we? But you know what? That, even that miracle was messy. They ran out of wine. They needed wine. You ever been out of wine before? It's a tragedy. You have to call one of your Methodist friends say, go to the store and get me a bottle of wine and bring it to my house. Because if you're Baptist, you can't go yourself. You know the difference between a Baptist and a Methodist in the liquor store, Right? The Methodist will speak to you. The Baptist will run for the bathroom. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We digress. They ran out of wine. Can I just tell you that Jesus, certainly there were vessels there that that Jesus could have just spoken and said, be wine. And the wine was in those empty wine vessels that they just poured all the other wine out of. Everybody already drank. He could have said, go, as, as, uh, as the prophet did to the, to the widow, said, go, go grab some empty vessels and let's, pour, let's, let's see some water, some water turn to wine. But no, he asked them to go get the water vessels. A lot of times we miss this. These were the vessels that were filled with water that as the guests arrived at the wedding for the party, for the reception, this is the place where they would wash their hands and their feet. a picture of those vessels for a minute. Dirt and grime. All of yesterday's dirt. All of yesterday's residue and mess. All the stuff I brought with me here is all resting there in those pots. Those are the pots Jesus said, go get. Miracles are messy. And he took that water and he turned that water into that perfect glass of Pinot Noir and that's what he does with us miracles are messy it's 11.53 I thought I was going to be quicker today than what I was but is it okay if we take about five more minutes today and the reason I ask that I ask your kind permission for that today is because I just believe that there are some people in this room today that are needing a touch from the Lord can I tell you you're in a safe house you're in a house full of people that's all we've all found ourselves there some of us are living there right now this is a hospital this is not a country club we're not here to impress one another this is the place we come with all of our burdens. This is the place where we come with all of our cares, with all of our sickness, with all the things that we're worried about and all the stress, all, of the, all the stuff that we're heavy laden. This is the place we come with it and this is the place we leave it. And this is the place we find the answer and the cure and it's in Him. Miracles are messy, but I want to tell you something. The miracle worker is here to meet you today. I can't promise you that your situation is going to be different when you leave, but I can promise you this. You will be different when you leave. And isn't that really all that matters anyway? Because the situation's gonna work out. It's gonna all happen. It's gonna be fine, I promise you. But we need to be good. That's where the miracle is. And then whenever, when it does all work out and and everybody comes together and everybody's joyful and everything's happening and the bills are paid and all that, you're not gonna be looking back and saying, boy, the check came in the mail, cha-ching. You're gonna be saying, God, you were with me even when it was messy. That's the miracle. So I'm going to ask them to sing this morning. As they sing, I want to open this altar up. i want to give you an opportunity to come over just these next few moments. We want to pray with you. We want to believe God with you. Whatever it is in your life, you don't have to say it out loud. You don't have to admit it, but if you want to, we're here to listen and to believe with you and pray with you. Well, we, we, want to, we want to introduce you to the one who can do it all in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for your presence and your peace in this house. We're asking you, God, to begin to do the work that only you can do in every heart and life. We believe that this moment and this day is this, is divine destiny for some people in this room. God, I ask for your comfort, your peace, your healing power and grace and restoration and deliverance, God, to begin to happen in lives in this moment, in this hour, in this day. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. These altars are open. We invite you to come today in Jesus' name.
1: Let faith arise. help my unbelief, I choose to trust you, no matter what I feel, let faith arise, let faith arise, my champions are dead. The ride. <laughs> you can-
2: building but the miraculous the miracles that you have prayed for and believed for some of you believing for years so we've released our faith and we've opened our hearts and our hands to receive the beautiful miracles that God has prepared I do believe this that Middle of everything that's happened here today we've released our pains and our hurts we've released our brokenness to his hands so that he can mend and put back together in the name of Jesus I speak that now Father it's with a thankful heart that we close this meeting full of gratitude for the word of God that's been spoken full of thanksgiving for the presence of God's love and kindness and goodness that has filled this room today. As we leave here, we humbly, humbly ask that you go with us. Let us not soon forget what we have experienced in this house. but May the Holy Spirit linger long in every, everyone's life. And we thank you for the victories that have been won here today and the miracles that we will testify of in our tomorrows. For all good things have come to us through Jesus Christ, and it is in your name, that precious name, that healing name, that we pray over all that are here today as we leave. Amen and amen. God bless you. Go in the peace and the love of God.